transformation occurs where life happens so what that means is right now at each one of our street levels whatever that looks like right now whether it's good times or bad times whether it's times of great joy or times of great sadness whether there's situations that are the absolute most bewildering thing you've ever experienced or everything that you ever hoped is coming to pass right there is where Jesus wants to do a work when you were a kid you probably didn't realize that being an adult isn't always exciting In fact, it's filled with mundane, everyday events. Today, Pastor Daniel begins a new series looking at some of the interactions Jesus had with different people. You'll learn that Jesus wants to spark change in your life right where you are. He's with you in the everyday of life. Whether things are going good or bad, that's where change begins. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in John chapter 2 as he begins his message, Jesus' First Miracle. Here we are with a brand new series starting today. Yes. You guys are so nice. Thank you so much. But listen, all it takes is a little spark. I remember the very first time I ever went to a bonfire. When I was growing up, you know, I'm from New Jersey, and we had family members who lived out what we would call the boondocks of Pennsylvania, which uh, actually in retrospect, looks a lot like Washington State. But that's a different discussion. But, but we used to go out, and out there for these family reunions. And I remember as a kid watching my uncles, and they, and they put all this wood together. And I'm like, man, what is that? And I was just like, I must have been about five or six years old. I'll never forget, you know, uh, my uncle was kind of, he was like a cowboy kind of a guy. And I remember he just sat back, and he had a, a, a matchbook. And he's like, watch this. He threw it on and the entire thing lit up. And I remember as a little kid, I mean, that bonfire was 10 times as big as I was. And it, I was like, that's amazing. But when you realize that all it takes is a little spark to start a huge fire, you know, we use that phrase uh, when we think of romantic relationships as well, right? There's the sparks are flying, right? I remember when, uh, I remember the very first time I saw my bride, Lynn. I remember right where I was. I remember where she was. And I remember just being like, what? Like, kind of like Adam in the Garden of Eden. I was like, whoa, man, you know, who's that? And I just, you know, what begins is just a little spark. And now, you know, uh, 16 years later and three kids. And when I started thinking about how something begins small, but it grows. And then I think about my experience with Jesus and your experience with Jesus. Jesus began to pursue each one of us, not often in the most extraordinary ways, but it began small. When was the first time you remember hearing about Jesus? Or when was the first time someone spoke with you about Jesus or the way they may say it historically about the state of your own soul, right? And I remember some of those early conversations when I wasn't concerned at all for anything of Jesus or my own soul. But I still remember those Little sparks that began what is now a 20-year relationship where I've been walking with Jesus. And I know for some of you, like, man, 20 years, he's just getting started. You're right. 
I feel like I'm still at the beginning of this journey. But it all begins small. And so for this entire series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at all these different moments where Jesus ends up on the scene. And as we do that, my hope in seeing all of these little sparks, we don't get only do we really have with like the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul, do we have more of their story, but we're going to see Jesus interfacing with all different people that something sometimes super small, but only God knows how it grows. And so I figured to get this series going, I wanted to start at Jesus's very first miracle, right? So open up your Bibles to John chapter two, John chapter two, we're going to be taking uh you know, pretty much verses 1 to 11 of John's gospel, chapter 2, the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed, because it's getting the thing started. Jesus ended up through the course of the gospels, performed so many different miracles. And even today, in each one of our lives, there are miraculous things that Jesus is doing. So John's gospel, if you're new to the Bible, John's gospel is the fourth book of the New Testament, about the last quarter or last third of your Bible. You have the four tellings of the account of the life of Jesus. And John's gospel is the fourth of those. So it says this in chapter two, verse one, it says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, what's beautiful about this is this is just the story of a wedding. Jesus is in Cana of Galilee. Now, if you remember, Jesus was uh, raised in the city of Nazareth, which was in that northern area that they call Galilee. And so the fact that there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and Jesus's mom was there, and then we learn that, uh, of course, Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. You know, we, we, what we realize right away is that the way God transforms people, it actually occurs just where life happens. Do you realize that? That God's miraculous work in each one of our lives, we, we always want it to be some crazy. Like everybody wants to have Paul's Damascus Road experience. I don't know about you. I wanted to meet Jesus, but I didn't really want him to make me blind and knock me off my horse and make me not eat for three days. Right? But we have this tendency in our kind of desire for radical, crazy experiences that what we really want is we want Jesus to do something totally like, like we want to be Jonah. Right? You want to rebel against God. You want to get swallowed up by a fish. You want to get barfed up somewhere you don't want to be. Like you don't really want that, but there's a part of us that kind of wants that. Right? And you have all these examples in the scriptures of these kind of extraordinary things that happen. But really what we learn is that in real life, transformation occurs where life happens. So what that means is right now at each one of our street levels, whatever that looks like right now, whether it's good times or bad times, whether it's times of great joy or times of great sadness, whether there's situations that are the absolute most bewildering thing you've ever experienced or everything that you ever hoped is coming to pass, right there is where Jesus wants to do a work. See, Jesus' first miracle happened at a wedding. Now, I know for the people getting married, weddings were a big, are a big deal, and they totally are. But in Jesus' culture, everybody got invited to the wedding. See, we have to remember, and if you ever travel to Israel, what you realize when you go and see Jerusalem, Jerusalem is not that big of a place. We have this tendency to think Mount Zion, Jerusalem, and it's going to be like, we think it's going to be like New York City. Like, it's not even Longview, Washington. And I'm not knocking Longview, but Longview is like a small town, Right? 
It's like, when you go into Jerusalem, it's not this expansive place. It, like, I remember when I first went there, I was like, is this, this is it? But you realize that back in the day, communities weren't huge. And when people got married, the entire town was invited. So although for the people who were getting married, it was a huge thing, people were getting invited to weddings all the time. Weddings were a common community building experience. And Jesus's first miracle, it really, it happens in a very common situation. And you have to realize that for you, the transformation that Jesus wants to do in your life, the spark that he wants to ignite into a burning flame, that's not going to happen oftentimes in extraordinary situations. It's going to happen with a lousy boss. It's going to happen with a health crisis. It's going to happen in situations where things just are just what they are, right? Like we don't think that God wants to transform our life when we're doing the dishes or the laundry, when we're tending to the yard, when we're dealing with our in-laws, right? But that's where transformation happens in everyday moments. And when you realize that what God wants to do is transform each one of us in the normal ho-hum places of your life, then all of a sudden it makes all of these things take on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? When all of a sudden you realize that what I'm going through right now, it's not just a problem, it's purposeful to make me more like Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God is doing a work in the everyday moments, right? Where life happens. When things are just the normal grind, And Jesus' first miracle takes place. Everyone's invited to a wedding. Now, look at what happens. Because really what we learn next, it says, And when they ran out of wine, verse 3 of John chapter 2, the mother of Jesus said to them, They have no wine. Now, what you realize here, and and we don't often think this way, but uh, at a wedding in that day, wine was the most common beverage that people drank. And all, oftentimes people, we live in a different culture, but you have to realize that clean water, we take it for granted here in the West, but that's not the case. And especially 2,000 years ago, fermented drinks were the most sanitary drinks because the fermentation would kill all the bacteria that would make people sick. So fermented beverages were the staple beverages of those cultures because they didn't have access to good old-fashioned H2O, spoken in the waterboy voice. Let the hearer understand. If you don't know the reference, don't worry about it. I'm just a child of the 80s. I can't help myself. You know, it's like, so, so, so wine was a common beverage. So what, what, what dads of kids would do is every single year they would take a barrel of grape juice and they would just set it apart so that it would ferment over time. And they do it every single year that when it was time for their kids to get married, there would be enough wine for the entire time. Right? And so what we don't realize when Mary, Jesus's mother, comes to Jesus saying they have no wine, that this was a major problem. This would be like the ultimate social faux pas. This would be one of those things that a couple never lived down because it really would bring shame upon the family because they weren't prepared for something that everybody knew was coming. 
And unlike our day and age today where people move around, I mean, this was long before social media, but people stayed in those communities their entire lives. And so once your family had the stigma of being the family that ran out of wine at the wedding, that was something that stuck with you for the rest of time. And there's nothing worse than that, right? A stigma that follows you around for the rest of your life. But that's what happens here. But what you begin to realize is Jesus works miraculously in the moments of the most tangible need. See, there's a tangible need here. And here's what I want to tell you. God does miraculous things in each one of our lives when there's a need. I've always told you all this, and oftentimes I need to remind myself of this, that if you have issues that you're a prime candidate for God to do something miraculous. I never met someone who prayed for a miracle when everything was going right. Isn't it true? Like when everything's going right, you're like, thank you, Lord. Keep it coming. This is awesome. But when everything's falling apart, then you say, Lord, what are you going to do? And God works miraculously to transform things when there's tangible needs. And this situation here, Jesus's mother, Mary, comes to Jesus and says, listen, they don't have any wine left. This is a big problem. And I want to encourage you in the moments of tangible need, in the situations that you have that are real, bring it to Jesus. There's nothing that we shouldn't bring to Jesus. There's no request that Jesus laughs off. You know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you ever think back on things that you prayed for and you're like, I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't say yes to that. Right? But see, Jesus is good and he knows the needs that we have. He knows the situations that we're going through. He knows the real needs. And when you come to you and say, Lord, you know that this is a need. Right? I remember that, that story in the prophets where the king brought the letter from the imposing army and laid it before the Lord and said, Lord, what are you going to do with this? In the midst of a tangible need, it's like when they wanted to arrest Elijah. Do you remember what happened? They had camped around the city. And Elijah's servant woke him up and said, they're here to get you. And Elijah just rolled over. And he said, Lord, open his eyes to show him that there are more for us than there are for the enemy. See, God has this great way of seizing the moments of need to do something amazing. See, that's why the people of God can be people of great hope. Because in the moments of our greatest need, we trust in the God of all hope. We realize that our God is the most miraculous God. The children of Israel have the most amazing testimony of who God is because of all the problems they had. I mean, could you imagine when after all the 10 plagues and they finally, uh, Pharaoh says, get out of here, go, it's time to go. And all people give them all their resources and they, and they head on out. And all of a sudden they end up between the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And the people were just freaking out. And Moses says, stand and see the salvation of our God. Was that a moment of tangible need? You bet. They're going to lose their lives. They're either going to drown in the water or they get killed by the Egyptian army. But all through your Bibles, as we're reading through it together in our Bible reading plan, how many times do they go back to that? The God who parted the Red Sea. The God who did this. The God who sustained you in the wilderness for 40 years miraculously with the manna from heaven. The God who, even though you ended up in exile in the in Babylon brought you back. But in each one of those, there's a tangible need 
that God meets us in the midst of. And one of the greatest things that I've learned is that in my moments of greatest need, not just to look at my need, but to look past my need and look at my Lord. To say, Lord, I'm going to look past all of this present moment, real struggles. I need to get my eyes on you, Lord, because you're the God who's working. None of this takes you by surprise, Lord. These needs are real. And you are even more real than my needs. Jesus' first miracle takes place in a common environment at a wedding. With a social faux pas situation. They're running out of wine. But I think it's fascinating how Jesus responds to his mother, Mary. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, how many of you, when you read that, you think to yourself, I can't believe Jesus just spoke to his mom that way. Am I the only one? No, okay, a lot of you. Praise God. I, I remember the very first time I was reading the scriptures, I'm like, he just called his mom woman. <laughs> like, and, 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 and just no good comes from that. You know, I'm all Italian, and so I, I was raised by an all-Italian mom and an all-Italian grandma and about nine other ladies who weren't my mom, but they treated me like that with my son. And if I called any one of them woman, I would have gotten a black eye. And it wouldn't have even have been child abuse at that point, you know? I would have gotten hit with pasta, wooden spoons, ladles. They would have withhold food from me. I mean, I don't even know what would... I never did it. I don't even want to know. Now, we realize that word woman, that reads strange to us, but in the Greek language, it's actually the word gune, which I've always made the joke that Jesus called his mom a goon, but he didn't. But, but, but it's the word gune, and it's actually a term of endearment, right? But it's amazing. They, the translators properly translate the word, but the word plays differently in our culture. I mean, any of you call your mom's woman, actually, don't raise your hand. Because if you do, we'll lay hands on you and pray for you. You know, and your mom. You know what I mean? It's the idea here is he, he's speaking to her in an endearing way, but he says, and it's kind of fascinating, he says, what does your concern have to do with me? For my time has not yet come. Now, this is important. When Jesus is doing something miraculous, when Jesus wants to transform a person's life, it always involves the cross. Because Jesus sees this moment where there is this tangible need for wine, he sees it as a picture of the cross. So the reason we know that is because Jesus says, woman, my time has not yet come. What does your concern have to do with me? And what's very fascinating is that, and you can write this down in your notes or in your Bible, the only other time Jesus calls his mother woman is in John chapter 19, verse 26. And Jesus said from the cross, woman, behold your son. Now, what's fascinating about this is at that moment, Jesus is making sure that his mother Mary is taken care of, right? And really what she's doing is Jesus, as Mary's oldest son, is Jesus is entrusting Mary into the care of John the apostle, the beloved apostle. And in that moment, he's talking about John the Apostle. But I always wonder when Jesus said, woman, behold your son, if in Mary's mind, her mind went back to this moment. When she asked Jesus to take care of this 
family who's running out of wine. And he said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And there on the cross, when he says, woman, behold your son, he's saying, mom, now my time has come. And here's the thing. The miraculous work that Jesus does in any one of us always involves the cross. God decided that the cross that Jesus died on would be the very place that we meet with God. And what I want to tell you is the most miraculous thing that God can do in our life is to bring each one of us to the cross to behold Jesus. We realize that the cross, sometimes we wear them on our necks. We have, you know, it was an implement of death. I mean, death by crucifixion was one of the most brutal in history. The most inhumane. The death was slow. It was agony. And oftentimes when we think of the cross or we wear a cross, it's like, it'd be like wearing a necklace that was an electric chair. But the reason the miraculous work of Jesus involves the cross is because what God wants to do in each one of our lives is he wants to bring us to the cross to see Jesus there. To see what it cost Jesus to forgive us of our sins, of our failings. But once we behold Jesus and we trust in his death on our behalf, then Jesus invites us, if we want to be his disciples, to do what? To deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow him. Brothers and sisters, listen. The only way to live the abundant life is to die to your own version of your life. And there's nothing more offensive to our culture than hearing that. Our culture says, do everything you want to do in your life and you'll be happy. And listen, it's a wonderful sentiment, but it's not true. And almost all of us can attest to that. We did things our way. We pursued the things that we wanted. And if we landed them, they didn't fulfill us anyway. And so Jesus says to each one of us, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, and that's what Jesus is interested in. You know that, right? Jesus is interested not in converts. He's interested in disciples. People who follow Jesus. People who learn from Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Nobody becomes a disciple of Jesus unless they're first converted. That's the first step in it. But Jesus doesn't just want us to believe upon him. He wants us to believe upon him and then follow him. As we say, simply respond to him. As we move from just being someone who puts an initial belief in him to somebody who is learning from Jesus every single day. Jesus is Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel encouraged you to give up trying to make your life work on your own. He shared that the only way to experience the abundant life God has for you is to give up your version of a great life because it'll never give you what you want. When you simply respond to Jesus, you'll find that what God wants for you is so much more rich than anything you could muster up on your own. Hey everybody, I want to invite you to join me in reaching people with the message that Jesus is real. Would you pray about partnering with us in the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio? Your support in this way helps us to keep sharing God's word and helps us reach more and more people. Thank you for considering partnering. Find out more at jesusisrealradio.com. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family. 
but I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at crossroadschurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue his look at the first miracle of Jesus. He'll urge you to follow the example of the servants who did what Jesus told them to do, even if it didn't make sense. You'll discover that your willingness to jump in with Jesus and do what he asks will open the door for him to work mightily in your life. When Jesus is involved, even the everyday can be miraculous. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Spark. Until then, may God bless.